The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey guys. Hey guys. Welcome back to the Selfie Show. It's Tori. And Sam. Two besties bringing you all things healthcare, humor, and unpopular opinions. Always coming in hot. We are and cold. Yeah, we are not hot today. We are freezing. <laughs> okay, so we'll maybe talk about this more on the bonus episode, but we got our ice barrel officially in the Mexican household. The wellness is happening. Cold it is plunge. fabulous. Cold plunging. Ooh. Sam just did her first plunge. I am still sitting here like. And you wrapped. lasted longer than I did. I, well, I had to. Once I found out, that's the only reason I wanted to do it was to yeah. see if I could make it longer than Tori. I was like, I don't even care about health and wellness. I just have to win. So I lasted a minute, 30 seconds. And then you lasted two minutes. Which oh, did is I do insane. two? You did two minutes. Oh, sick queen it was fabulous we're so excited we this has been on our radar for a long time and so we have that and then we also have our higher dose sauna blanket obsessed so we're starting to bust that out it's just been it's been all wellnessy especially i've been needing it a lot lately especially with night shifts they've been killing me lately i feel alive after that yeah like revitalize that honestly I'm like shocked. I wasn't expecting to feel that good after it. Yeah, totally. I, I feel the same. It's really interesting how good you feel, especially like an hour or two afterwards. It's like your brain just feels so much more clear. And so the whole thing is like you have to do it. You have to dunk low enough or make sure to to target the vagus nerve. Where is that? Neck. So it's like right on the sides oh, here. Oh, did not like that. When you neck. told me to go lower, I was like, yeah. I don't know. I was like, you got to go lower, girl. Ooh. But it's good. I think if anyone who suffers from anxiety, low-grade depression, inflammation in general, there's just so many good things about this. Do you so. think I could dunk Moses in there? <laughs> oh, totally. He's being a psycho lately. He needs a little bit. He's suffering from low-grade depression. I know. And well, anxiety. You're, you're on the opposite of that because you, you had Miss Taylor Swift this week. <sighs> Obviously. Well, okay. So that's my unpopular opinion. Yeah, let's get into it. Listen, I know there's like people that don't like Taylor Swift. I even think someone submitted an unpopular opinion to us that she's overrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Remember yeah, we did. We got Taylor Swift is overrated. Like, Sorry, Sam. And I'm like, listen, you do not have to like Taylor. And then I posted pictures from my Taylor Swift concert and someone commented about how they don't like when singers lip sing at a concert. Well, I said limp sync. Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's neither here thing. nor there. But here's the thing. Judging professionals doing their job is wild to me because mm -hmm. like, bro, I doubt you even have a good enough voice to be a singer. But let's say you were had a phenomenal voice to tell me that you could go on stage for three hours and 15 minutes, perform 44 songs and you're by yourself. There's no you're not part of a band mm -hmm. or a group where you all take turns singing parts of the song. You are a solo artist. It's all about you. Three hours and 15 minutes is more than most people. Most shows are an hour and a half to two hours of the main right. band or performer that you went to see. Three hours and 15 minutes 
44 songs. That is unheard of. Insane. And she played the piano, played the guitar. What more do you want from her? And she sang. Obviously, if you are dancing and doing choreography there's going to be times where there's your like vocals track playing Mm -hmm. but she's still singing over it and the times that she's truly just sitting down playing the piano or playing the guitar she is singing yeah you literally can so i'm like how could you judge someone's concert and then she has to do that 52 times between now and august that's absurd so i'm you don't have to like her but to sit there and say that she should be singing every second of every single song when she's actually putting on a full production of dancing, singing makes no sense. But when she's sitting down playing, like she, I'm like, she's yeah. literally singing. I was there. <laughs> she sang majority of the time. And the times that she wasn't singing makes sense. Right, so I'm like, right. what are you even talking it's about? Insane. But I'm like, yeah. how are, like, get up there and sing one song in front of 70,000 people, please. Like, mm-hmm. I Much love less 44, that for which no, is 70,000. Cra- no, no, no. Oh, 44 songs. songs. Yeah, wild. Yeah, wild. Oh and not to mention the amount of energy it takes to put on some like I cannot imagine doing that show just once for three hours and how much training that she has to do to train herself to get to training vocal training and physically mentally like you have to be in such a headspace to do something like that as an artist and it takes so much work like I she is an incredible yeah. artist. Everyone else is like complaining about how much their feet hurt standing there for the three hours of the show. I'm like, this bitch is in Louboutins <laughs> dancing on stage for three hours. And mm-hmm. like, we're, oh, when are we going to the bathroom? Taylor's not taking a bathroom break during her show. We're not taking a bathroom break yeah. during her show. So I just think, look, you don't have to like her music, but you cannot say she's overrated mm-hmm. because I dare any, no other artists aren't even putting on shows of that level. And on top of that, okay, you want to compare like, yeah, she doesn't have a Celine Dion voice mm, like okay. or Mariah Carey, but she had one. She does have a really good voice. She can hit some notes. Yeah. But two, how many singers out there not only write their own lyrics, so a true lyricist, mm-hmm. but songwriter, can- yeah. so- like writing the music itself, playing the instruments, composing the music and writing the lyrics. Most like people aren't even doing that. Look at one of Beyonce's songs. Yeah, I'll say it. There's 30 writers on one song. Right. Look at how many writers are on a Taylor Swift song. So, no, she's not overrated. And no, she, like, to be criticizing her for singing over her vocals track. Not miss <laughs> me with that shit. Get out of here. Goodbye. End of conversation. Love that. Not to mention <laughs> we are how done many here. songs that she writes for other people in the Oh, industry. yeah. She ghost writes she, for she other writes people. She writes for tons of people. Mm-hmm. So, She's just incredible, just all around. So we're we're you don't have to like her, but you will respect her. (laughs) Done. Done. What was your favorite song that she did? All too well, the ten minute. Because it's like now that she only released the ten minute album last year, so she only performed it live. Like I think she did on SNL and like did a couple other live performances of it. So this is the first time we're all getting to see the ten minute version live, and I think that's my favorite Taylor Swift song of all time because it just like hits you in the feels but i am a reputation girly i really like i love i love don't blame me don't blame me is the song oh, i put on in yep. the cold plunge yep. because i felt like that was a good like mental it was place to go to builds up yes. yeah the it was, slow build mm-hmm. so i like that not really like i love reputation i know that's I'm, probably my favorite era. i'm also uh i love her new album so much because it's grown up taylor yeah so I, there's a lot of the songs like 1989 was super a fun time in my life and it was so radio friendly. So that's like good vibes. Right. But 
her on newest midnights i relate to grown-up taylor it's like deeper. older wiser yeah but like back in the day she's saying dear john and then now it's like should have would have could have because she's looking back at in her 30s at 19 year old taylor yeah. with a whole different perspective so i relate to that so i think a lot of us do you know what's interesting is i was thinking about that of like why is it that Taylor is an artist that hits so many? Like, I would argue that she has probably the biggest fan base next to maybe Selena. And well, they're thinking besties. About, she has the same fan base. Yeah, well, she does. <laughs> and when you think about it, it's because I think a lot of us really relate to feeling like the underdog. She does a lot. She talks a lot about that, about feeling like the moments when you're so low and then like also talking about your revenge story and then talking about she just she hits everything that we've all been through and I just I love that for us they tried to like cancel her are you kidding me oh, back in that. the whole and then that's why reputation it's like no it mm -mm. just means and for a while she was getting like hated on yeah and after now, the Kanye and then yeah. the Kanye stuff happened she's had a lot happen she's her had career. her come up because I'm just gonna say I know you love your Kardashians but they're hurt they're hurting right now yeah they're they're, they're well they're not <laughs> living their best life on they're not on top anymore they're quiet right now they're not on top anymore Kardashians are quiet right now it's, they're, they're not what? on top anymore everybody has a moment and then you gotta take a, a step you gotta take we're, a step back we're in Taylor's era. Right I'm now. okay with that. I love a Taylor era. We love that. Well, I'm glad you had fun. Yeah. Much, much needed. Much needed. Well, and, yeah. Speaking of eras, here we go. We are in the era of Asia <laughs> Sullivan, our guest today, guys. She's yes. so awesome. And oh my God. We got her in person, which we freaking love. It was love. so much fun. And her wife. Yes. So much fun. Together. Oh, the best. So mm -hmm. we have Asia Sullivan. She's known on socials as Couture and Clinic. She's a physician's assistant and content creator. Asia takes patients from all walks of life, but focuses on serving the needs of the LGBTQ plus community. Her day-to-day -day consists of face-to-face -face patient care, and she also offers virtual care, FYI. Which we are definitely, I'm getting on, because yeah, I Tori, need to. Tori needs a new, a new primary. <laughs> yes, I do. So she provides annual physicals, preventative care, diabetes care, HIV management, well-woman exams, and hormone replacement therapy. Today, we're getting into so many meaningful conversations on how to build a career as your authentic self. Her clinical treatment philosophy is as a whole person approach that recognizes the interplay of one's physical body, emotional well-being, environment, and psychosocial support systems. Today, we're going to be myth-busting and answering all the questions about STIs, PrEP, current healthcare trends. We're going to get into boomer, millennial, and Gen Z differences, her journey to becoming a PA, Asia's couture and clinic backstory. This is really fun and one that I really loved, and providing a judgment-free preventative care medicine philosophy. Without further ado, let's get into it with Miss Asia. All right, we have Miss Asia in studio. Thank you so much for driving out in the rain, P.S. Yeah, thank you for having me. If I had known it would have been raining, I probably would have just done it from home. But <laughs> here we are, and I'm so happy. No, we're glad you didn't know because we, in person, we were just talking about this. It's so much better yeah. in terms of just the, I feel like the energy, there's something about it and the timing and just the, I don't know, the connection is so much better. I will always prefer in person, even though if it rains one more day in California, we're going to die. I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> Same. It has Same. been since New Year's Eve weekend. It's been pretty much every week, at least one or two days every week this whole year. Mm -hmm. I'm That's done. right. Love yeah. It. And the days are finally getting longer and we can't even enjoy it because of the weather. I was so excited for spring forward for more sunlight. But now it's like, oh, there can't be sunlight because it's going to rain. Okay, <laughs> <Hey>, thanks. <laughs> All Californians are getting seasonal depression we're, and feeling everyone from... Deep into it. Deep in it. Like, 
So we like to start off our episode nice and spicy with an iconic question. What is your unpopular opinion? Okay, here's a strong one. My unpopular opinion is that I don't like rainbows as representation for the LGBTQ community. Oh my god, I kind of love this. Is that too controversial? No. Oh my god, bring it. It was the first thing that popped to my mind. I should have prepared for this question. It's on brand. This is perfect for this episode. (laughs) Wait, so, okay, rationale. We need to hear why. Well, I just feel I love the story and I love kind of like the meaning behind it. And it's an outward representation of the community. But I just feel that the bright colors, they're just tacky and I don't want to wear them. They ruin my aesthetic. I know I'm not the only person. You know what? I'm here for this. Okay, so if we were going to mute the colors a little, are we Mm -hmm. here for this kind of rainbow? Or are we like canceling the rainbow altogether? Like where we Maybe, yeah. Maybe if we toned down the colors a little bit and just sort of made them a tiny bit more neutral, a little bit more complementary (laughs) to each other. That's just truly, I think, yeah. I love that. Well, what about all the different flag colors too? Because that's a lot to like try to remember. Like it's very. These are the like lesbian colors. These are the bisexual colors. This is the trans flag. I'm like. Man, these are a lot of colors. Remember, it's like a whole NFL league. Everyone's got their own like <laughs> yes. their team there colors. There are a lot of colors, but I will say I personally like the kind of subsect colors. Like for example, the lesbian flag colors because they're just nice and complimentary. They look you could wear them together and still look nice. So as a pink and purple girl, I like the the that's like the bisexual flag, right? That, right. Those like, are like my favorite colors. Yeah. So the individual groups are a lot more wearable than the entire rainbow. But I will do it for pride. I will do it. <laughs> you got to represent. Yes. You got to be here for it. I know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, uh, speaking of which, let's go back because I, I absolutely love, first of all, I, I have been stalking you for years. Yeah, so, it's mutual. I mean, I've I've loved you. I've your, your, your aesthetic, your message, just everything and watching you grow on the various platforms has been super fun. But for people who don't know you, let's get a background story. Where did you grow up? Like, let's hear about baby, young Asia, all the deets. Definitely. So if you don't know me, I'm Asia. I am a certified physician assistant and now I'm here in Los Angeles practicing, but I'm originally from Alabama, from like a really rural town in Alabama. The name is Castleberry, if you ever want to look it up. But I grew up there. I spent my entire life there. I went to high school there and eventually did undergrad and PA school all in Alabama. So that's sort of my origin story. After I finished PA school, I knew that I wanted to move out west and and leave the southeast for the first time in my life. And so as soon as I graduated, I applied to jobs out here in California and landed landed one out here about four years ago. Mm -hmm. Actually, about five years ago. Yeah. So it's interesting because so I've worked with several girls who are wanting to go the way you did. So you're a physician assistant, right? But you specialize in LBG care. And so today, I feel like there's so many things that I want to talk about, but I want to go back to childhood. Do you feel when you were growing up that you had to edit who you were? Or did you ever feel like, let's go back to a moment where you were like, hmm, maybe this isn't for me. You know what I mean? Yes. Many times, I think. So growing up, as I said, it was in a rural town in the Bible Belt in the Deep South in Alabama. And so different relationships and different people weren't quite as accepted. There was a lot of, I guess discrimination and blatant racism truly Mm -hmm. around things like interracial couples and I don't even know if we got to the point of having controversy around like same-sex couples because there just weren't that many like I can't think of of really that many examples growing up of same-sex couples or even really interracial couples and the ones that I did know were kind of 
looked down upon in our in our small community. And so there were moments where I felt like I kind of had to maybe not be my full self, but also I, I I didn't struggle too hard. Like once I eventually came out, I guess around my senior year is actually when I was just first starting to meet my now wife. And I kind of was ready. Like I just said here, this is who I am. I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to date who I want to date. And it actually turned out a lot better than maybe I would have expected. What was that conversation like? Well, I don't think it was never like an announcement to anyone. It was yeah. more so like, I don't know, like uh, me and my girlfriend will be seen together and that kind of thing. And I never would deny it. I remember even going back as far as like seventh and eighth grade, there would be these rumors like, oh, he's just a lesbian. He's just a lesbian. And at the time I was like, no, I'm not. Like I was like, no. But then lo and behold, they were not rumors. They were true. But that didn't come around <laughs> until about my senior year. Is that high school or college? Uh, uh, high school. Okay. High school. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Going into college, I was like joining the Gay Pride Alliance and like the Rainbow Club. And I was just so ready to kind of like get involved and meet other queer people, which is something that I didn't really have a lot of in my hometown. Did that ever make you consider wanting to leave Alabama, though, for college just to kind of get somewhere that is maybe a little more queer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I definitely did. But the main driver for me was that in-state tuition. Oh, and I got absolutely. a lot of scholarships. Okay. So yeah, they got to follow I, the money. Yeah. <laughs> I think I probably would have left Alabama a lot, maybe after college, had it not been for those financial reasons. But I don't regret it. I went to I went to school in Birmingham, which is the biggest city in Alabama. It's still kind of small as compared to like city cities like LA, but it was different. It was sort of like a little blue spot. There was a college town and it was a really, really good experience. I don't regret going to UAB for undergrad or PA school at all. Mm-hmm. How uh, Do you mind me asking how old you are? I'm 29. Okay, so you're in our category. Do you feel like your hometown and where you grew up is has it changed or evolved more so than it did and like comparison to LA community community what are your thoughts on that I actually just went home for my five was it five year five year class 10 year <laughs> isn't it crazy look I'm like I'm only God. five years out I'm so sorry it was my 10 year class reunion which is hard to believe uh. and I really found honestly that not too much has changed. The status quo is still very much the status quo. Maybe if anything, there's a bit more like diversity. I see I've seen a lot more interracial couples and people of different ethnic backgrounds who have moved into our community. So that's kind of nice. But I think kind of overall, a lot is still the same. The good things and the bad. I know Tori asked the question about what was that conversation like? Do you find it interesting that there's always kind of put that weight or burden on the gay community to have to announce or come out. I think that's the weirdest concept because yeah. straight yeah, people like, don't have to go announce. I just want to let you know I'm straight and I'm bringing home right. my boyfriend or girlfriend to Thanksgiving this year. Why I that like is so weird. Have you to seen? Me. I reposted it. So there was a tech talk going around about it was like a parody of someone coming out as straight to his liberal parents. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I'm like, this is hilarious because exactly to your point, like 100 percent, that is a thing. Like, I, I love that. Yeah, they're like, honey, we're going to go. We're just all going to go into the living room and yeah. put on hairspray. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's live up to it. Yeah. What that are is, your thoughts on that? That is something that that it, that really is super weird. And we've almost kind of like made it a 
big defining moment in your life is like, what is your coming out story or when Mm -hmm. did you come out? But I guess really, if you want to look at it that way, people come out every day. Like every time you're walking down the street holding your partner's hand, you're coming out to those people in the around you. And it speaks to kind of our like default heteronormative society Mm -hmm. because we assume especially like very like feminine women or feminine presenting women are straight. That's something that has kind of always been the assumption. But it would be really nice if that wasn't the thing and that if queer, trans, other people weren't othered in that way. Because you're right, straight people never have to announce that they are straight or whatever. But some people too, on the flip side, it's very liberating to actually come out. Like so many people have that story of when they can say like, This was the moment that I just said, screw what everybody else thinks. I'm going to live in my authentic self. And I think, too, it's kind of each relationship in your life may be different the way you come out to them. Like for my mom, I just sent her a text message. (laughs) I love that. And it was literally like it was like really late one night. And she had known Tiara. Like Tiara had been to our house many times. She was a very close friend, knew the family, knew my grandma. Everyone loved her. And I just kind of texted her like, by the way, Tiara and I are dating. And she was like, I know. (laughs) And that was that was that. Are you as kind of growing and we're learning and all these things? Do you do you like where we're going with the gay community? Like, do you think we're going in a good direction or like what are your kind of general thoughts on? Oh, that's hard, because in some ways it's we've made like leaps and bounds in terms of representation and all the different places that you will see gay couples and queer people. And I would say even on your most mainstream of brands, if you turn on the TV, you'll see same-sex couples in advertisements and TV shows. And in that way, I think it's really, really great. On the flip side, we're seeing all of these sort of policies and legislative actions towards the queer and trans community in a way that like truly and statistically we've never seen before. So I kind of wonder if that is related. We're seeing more and more representation and therefore we're getting more and more pushback from people who are made uncomfortable by that. So, yeah, I think kind of in Hollywood and in media, we're doing great. And then in the real life and the ways that people are really being affected every single day, especially outside of our communities like L.A. and New York and San Francisco, it's it's really bad. It's very regressive and honestly shocking. Yeah, the hyper focus on some of the legislation being introduced in certain states like Florida and other Midwest states is mind-blowing. I'm like, there's so many problems in this country (laughs) and you're trying to make things a problem. That aren't a problem. Focus. I actually saw this one girl's TikTok I loved so much and she was like, if I had an option of where to like leave my three-year-old daughter in a room with a bunch of middle-aged white cis men or to leave them alone in a room with a bunch of drag queens, I would choose the drag Drag queens queens every every single time. Every time. time. And I was like, absolutely me as a grown-up woman, grown adult woman, I would, who would, if you ask me, Sam, who would you want to take a drink, an uncovered drink from? Drag queens. All day, every day. I'm like, you're fixating on, like hyper fixating on these little groups that have never been a threat or a harm to anyone other than just having a good fucking time. That's right. And it's wild. Yeah, absolutely. And like those are kind of like the outward facing platforms that they stand on. But it's not it's not about drag, right? Like we've been entertained. Hetero people have been entertained by drag for as long as they can remember. But I think it's really more of when 
gay and queer people are like claiming what is theirs, Mm -hmm. that's when it becomes a problem. Not when it's men dressing up as women for fun as they have in Hollywood from the beginning of time. Like no one has ever had a problem with that. It's when you sort of like reclaim your role in that when people start to have a problem with it. So we've seen this the same with the bathroom situation, right? Like yeah. it wasn't right. it wasn't about the bathrooms and it's not based in logic because people have taken the time out to do these like studies about who the predators like who are, are. Who are harming right. children, who are harming children and it's not drag queens and it's mm-hmm. not the queer community. No, and it's usually people related in your circle of whether it's like actual familial relations or coaches, et cetera, oh, but in your very like inner circle. It's yeah, not, not just some rando yeah. off the street. Granted, yeah. that happens in a very small percentage because mm-hmm. we live in a fucked up country. But yeah, it's the threat is coming. The call is always coming from inside the house, people. Come <laughs> yeah, on. it's interesting because I just saw another TikTok. We're just going to talk about TikToks all day. I can do <laughs> um, that. That's my life. We, and there was another one where this guy was basically talking about how drag they're saying like okay you want to put an age limit on it fine but then he's also behind the scenes showing cheerleaders on that super bowl and like half naked doing all these things and just every representation of how women are sexualized in the media very Mm -hmm. and very openly and it's like okay so you're going to be mad about that but you know in this is going to be on national tv for kids to see with all these boobs out and doing all these things and then but so so really, what's the difference? You want to put an age limit? Fine. But then start, are we going to start censoring other things yeah, as well? Yeah, that's what, you know, it comes back to the same thing. It's not like modesty. It's the fact that these are queer people doing it and right. you don't like it. Right. 100%. If you don't like it, also don't participate. Like I, after the Super Bowl, there was how many FCC complaints over Rihanna's halftime show? There was so many. So, and it's like, then don't watch the Super don't Bowl. Don't watch. Then don't watch. <laughs> don't watch like it. no one's making you watch and turn on the tv that's a voluntary thing that you're opting into we don't have to cater if like you don't like it don't watch same same with everything with like gay marriage well like don't get gay married (laughs) (laughs) then don't marry someone you don't like it don't do it right right same thing with abortion by the way you don't want it don't get it exactly right exactly how has in terms of like your life and then becoming a pa and your practice like how has everything shaped that for you in your in your practice now. Yeah, I felt, I think a lot of things and especially where I am now have been kind of like serendipitous. I I usually tell people the story of again back to growing up in Castleberry, there was this man in our community who no one really no one really knew much about him. Everyone knew just like he was super sick and he needed help and so one thing I would do when I was a little girl is like walk his little dog and I later found out as an adult that he died of untreated AIDS. And that was as early as my childhood, maybe 20 years ago when I was seven or eight. And so those are things that, that's kind of something that set the stage for me. I was like, wow, this is kind of a community that I started serving even as a little girl and had no idea. When I got older and got into college, I got really into public health and epidemiology. I did my bachelor's in public health and had the opportunity to participate in a lot of like HIV research. And then also to work in one of our HIV clinics. It was actually one of the only dedicated HIV clinics in the state of Alabama. And I think it might still be one of a couple. And so that also too kind of like piqued my interest in this special community and the special disease state. Kind of stayed on within that, went on to do a master's in public health in PA school. Within my master's of public health, I kind of stayed within the HIV realm and did a little bit of HIV work in Jamaica and also did a thesis on on our findings. So 
yeah, I went into PA school not really knowing what I was going to specialize in. I think a lot of people don't quite know, like what you think you want to do as a med student or PA student, nursing student isn't actually what you end up doing. I really thought for me that I was going to be like a hardcore surgery girly, like wanted to do either plastics or cardiothoracic. And then when I did a family medicine rotation, again, back home in rural Alabama, I really fell in love with it, knew that I wanted to kind of get out of the state, get out of the Southeast and do something new. I actually didn't even get a license anywhere but California because I was just like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to move there. Someone is going to hire me. I applied for jobs that I was probably very unqualified for, like even things that would say, we want three years experience. I would still apply. And out of all those gazillions of applications, I landed like a really great job. And I'm still in that same role that I've been in since graduating. What was the decision behind wanting to even do PA school when you were doing the undergrad in public health? Mm. At first, kind of like a lot of PAs, probably I thought I was going to go the medical school route. I had actually not even heard of the PA profession until my like sophomore year of college. And then we had sort of like a little career fair type thing. And I met a couple of PAs and my eyes were open to this profession that I didn't even know existed. I feel like a lot of people, it's funny because PA is like, to me, the most like under, what do you, what's the word? My brain's Like sorry. recognized yes. maybe or like, I'm like, they just don't know what we are. Yeah. And I'm like, honestly, if, if I had to do it all over, I've said this several times, I would become a PA. Like that would, nurse practitioner PA, I'm like, that is, it's so interesting because I think like people just don't know. I didn't know about it until I was already a nurse for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think I would have either. I definitely never encountered a PA or if I did, I didn't know it. Right. So, yeah. And then they kind of told me about we had a PA program actually at the university I went to. We had a med school and a PA program. I went to a lot of different information sessions. I was like, wow, this I really think this is my track into medicine. Always knew I wanted to work in medicine, like literally even from a little child. I don't know why. But the first time someone asked me what I wanted to do, I said I wanted to be a doctor. And I would always like dress up on Halloween as a doctor or a nurse. Like, I just knew that this was where I was going. And the PA sort of route to get there was great. And I would really recommend it to anyone who's kind of seeking some sort of provider level role. So can you tell us about the job you got out here and what it is you do? Yeah, so I was combing Indeed. Indeed is actually how I found this position. And I know it's crazy. Like no one thinks that they're going to find a job on Indeed, but I did. And I mean, I had to put in like 300 applications to get there, but hey. And so I saw this one and it was for the listing specifically said like must be comfortable, I guess, with the LGBTQ community, seeking someone with experience in HIV and AIDS. And I had, at that point, a pretty decent amount of experience. And so I just sent a cover letter and my resume to the, it actually ended up being the doctor, the supervising physician that I work with. And I basically just kind of poured my heart out. I was like, here's where I'm coming from. This is my experience. I know that you wanted someone with more experience, but just give me a chance. And so he saw that. He contacted me. We did a couple of video interviews. I flew out twice to shadow and interview and then we finally decided it's a really good fit. And I think we moved out here to California from Alabama on like a Wednesday or a Thursday. And I started work on Monday. Wow. Ready to roll. Yeah. Uh, hit the ground running. You were already yeah. married at the time and everything? No, I actually no. just got married oh. last year. Okay. your Her wedding <laughs> pictures are to die for. You guys are so cute. I'm obsessed. Thank you. Yeah, I'm coming up on my one-year wedding anniversary. So my wife and I have been together going on 11 years now. So... We've been together all throughout undergrad, all throughout PA school, all throughout our move. And then finally, we decided to get go ahead and get married last year. So, 
love it. Are you guys loving LA? Yes, we are. We got here in May of 2019, so we were just kind of oh, settling. Pandemic. Exactly. <laughs> welcome. Nothing yeah. screams welcome to LA like a pandemic right. shutdown. So, and I had just had never had a real oh job as a provider before. So May 2019, we get here. I start work the very next week, and then I'm still getting our bearings. We're still learning where we live and, and what's going on. And then, of course, the COVID situation came to be. And so, I feel like we are just now, three years later, starting to yeah, experience like, LA. Exactly. This is actually yeah. my first time in Redondo. Yeah. How weird. Welcome and it's raining. Just go figure. Oh, we had Welcome this whole day. I was like, okay, we're going to go. We're going to get a cute little lunch. We're going to walk on the beach. Right. Totally. Yeah. Well, we'll have to have you back out because honestly, it's so fun because you can literally see the ocean from our streets. Yes, it looks really shops. beautiful. I was really bummed. Well, I am really curious about this. So you've done a lot of research in HIV and AIDS. And what something maybe you want to myth bust about that? I, I would love to know, like, what's something that you think most people think? And where are we at with HIV and AIDS now? That's a great question. So one of the biggest myths to bust, and this is even a misconception that I had when I was in PA school and we were kind of learning about HIV and pharmacology was that it's a very complicated condition to manage or that patients living with HIV are very sick. And it's actually not the case. Nowadays, the medications, the treatments that we have are so good that it's quite simple to manage someone living with HIV. I tell people a lot, like something that may surprise you is that it is so much more complicated to manage diabetes than it is to manage HIV. Isn't that interesting? Yep. So yeah, the vast majority of patients, and of course not all of them, but the vast majority of patients will take one pill once a day and they will be completely fine. They will live a normal life. They will live a normal lifespan. I have patients living with HIV in their late 80s who were diagnosed in the 80s. Mm which is wild. And treatment for HIV is also changing every day. And so a lot of people don't, even the one pill once a day can be burdensome. And now we're starting to see long acting injectable treatments for HIV, which is kind of groundbreaking and new. So that's the biggest myth, I think, is that folks living with HIV either aren't going to live as long, aren't going to be as healthy, or have to take a cocktail of medications. And uh, no, it's quite simple. Are you familiar with Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye? Absolutely. He's been really open about that and his ex diagnosis with HIV. I want to say maybe it was 12 years ago. I don't know mm -hmm. how long ago, but he's talk he he's very open about talking about it. And then he was saying how much PrEP has helped in the community so for people because I know PrEP is like that's like the everyone, you know, it's very in vogue right now. What is PrEP and like yes. how is it? Yeah, I'm going to like nerd out on this. OK, one, so yeah, thank yeah, you for asking. Yeah, yeah. So PrEP, if you're listening and you don't know, so PrEP is for anyone. Another misconception mm -hmm. about PrEP is that it's only for cis gay men, which is not the case. So most most people actually, regardless of your orientation or your identity, could be eligible for PrEP. So PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis, and it's medication that you can take to prevent contracting HIV through sex. So if, even if you don't know anything about this partner, even if they have you know, uncontrolled HIV, they're not going to the doctor, it doesn't matter. By you taking this medication, you are not going to contract HIV. PrEP is 99.9% .9 effective when it's taken as prescribed, which is daily. However, it's kind of hot and in vogue right now. We're thinking a lot about PrEP 211, which is on-demand PrEP, essentially. So instead of taking PrEP every single day, if you're someone who kind of knows when you're going to need it, knows when you're going to be at risk, you take two pills two to 24 hours before the encounter, one pill the day after, 
one pill the day after that, Ooh. and it's 86.5% effective. Wow. It's like a plan A slash plan B. Yeah, it's very much. Birth control like, but it's very much. Yeah. And on that t- on that note of like plan A and plan B, so if I tell people... Speaking of which, love that. <laughs> so you can think of PrEP similarly to birth control. So birth control prevents pregnancy and PrEP prevents HIV. However, let's say that you are not on PrEP and you have an exposure, and this might not even be like a sexual exposure. Us in the medical field are at risk for finger sticks, and you never know what a patient who, a patient that you're treating, you don't know all the time what their status is. And so that is where PEP comes into play. So PEP, you can think of as like your plan B, it's post-exposure prophylaxis. And that is basically a full HIV regimen that you'll take for 30 days. If you start it within 72 hours of the exposure, whether that's sex or a needle stick or whatever, you will not contract HIV like 99.9% effective. Well, it's kind of like similar to babies being born to HIV positive mothers. That's right. I used to teach pediatrics and that was such a misconception when I would teach that to my students was that HIV mothers can deliver and the babies have an extremely, extremely low chance of contracting it because Mm -hmm. they start prophylactics. Yep on the day that they're born and then they take them and then they do their tests, do their repeat tests and it's like negative and they're good. That's right. That's right. I always tell patients, regardless of their gender, if you want to be a parent and you're living with HIV, you can be a parent. Your child will not automatically be born with HIV. Mm -hmm. And even the research now on breastfeeding is that it's not contraindicated, correct? That's correct. Are you, is that what you're still seeing in Nikki world? Because in the NICU, you know like we used to, it was contraindicated. We're as breastfeeding nurse, a lot more things but than now, actually I would have thought. Yeah. Even, even some moms were, it, it depends case to case, but it sure. is interesting on how how things are shifting a yeah. lot mm-hmm. in, in that realm. But all those things that have been stigmatized mm-hmm. and have for so long yeah. been contraindicated or big, like, no, I don't think people realize how much the research is actually there now supporting the fact that that's so outdated. That's right. It's really, it brings up the slogan that we have, U equals U, which is undetectable equals untransmittable. Mm -hmm. So a patient with an undetectable viral load, meaning they are stable on their antiretroviral, they take it every day, their viral load, the HIV virus is essentially undetectable in the blood. The viral load is so low that they cannot transmit it through sex. So that's really relieving a lot of times. So we have, I have actually several patients, couples, long-term patient couples who one partner is living with HIV, the other is HIV negative. They don't use PrEP, they don't use condoms, and they're both perfectly fine. That other partner is not at risk. That's just like huge myth-busting land. You also brought up the fact that PrEP's for everyone. I want you to weigh in on that because I was telling someone the other day that I read that more HIV positive cases are now in straight people than in the gay community. That's right. And I like would love for you to just myth bust. Yeah. 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 So that study that that you're referring to, it made headlines, uh, but it was referring to a population in the United Kingdom. So that's something to keep in mind. It was a subset of the population, but it was one of the very first times, if not the first time that there was a higher rate of transmission in that community among heterosexual people rather than gay men. And so a lot of that is because the gay community has been living with and dealing with HIV and the repercussions of HIV for so long. They're kind of hyper aware. The gay community knows what PrEP is. The gay community is being tested regularly. Mm -hmm. Whereas I find 
statistically, and even in my personal work dealing with both heterosexual patients and gay patients, they are less likely to have been tested recently. They're less likely to perceive that their risk for HIV is there. And so when I counsel patients, anyone who comes in for an STI test, I always mention PrEP just to see. And so I'll ask that patient, maybe it is a, let's say a heterosexual female, she's coming in for STI testing, and I'll ask her about, do you do you feel that you're a candidate for PrEP? Do you know it exists? And she's like, oh, I really don't think so. I'm not I'm not that sexually active. Well, it only takes that one time. Oh, yeah. And, um, or and for the partner's first time. That's right. That's right. And so you, it's also about protecting yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And the community. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing in terms of generation, like millennial, Gen Z, boomer? What are like the top things that you're seeing in each generation right now and when you're counseling or they're coming in to see you? Hmm. Well, one thing, so these, the newer generation of patients, patients who have maybe not been around in the 80s or the early 90s when HIV truly was a death sentence, there's not really that fear so much of HIV. I've even heard patients as as young as 18 or 20 say, well, I'm already on PrEP. So if I get HIV, I'll just take a pill once a day, just like I do now. Mm. So uh, there is a lot of nonchalance. I I still feel that people should be aware and and protect themselves and do what they can to remain negative. But that just kind of shook me a little bit versus, let's say, our 65-year-old patient who has sex like once a year and takes his prep every single day because he just can't, like the fear is so great. So that's something that's interesting. It's sort of kind of like the fear surrounding HIV. There's a lot less in this generation. They're used to seeing people on prep. They're used to seeing people thrive on HIV medications, their peers. Also, I find that younger generations are a lot more open to talk about their sex lives and talk about the specific types of sex that they're having as it relates to, well, what do we need to test you for? Mm -hmm. And we know as time goes by, more and more people are identifying as Gender fluid and gender queer, I definitely see that a lot in our patients. We have a lot of people exploring their gender identities either through hormone or without. So those are kind of some some major differences that I see amongst the older generation and, and the younger folks. Can we talk a little bit about hormone therapy? Mm-hmm. What? Okay, so let's maybe start at point one. A patient comes into you for that. Like, how do you treat and kind of square one? Where do you start? Yeah, so patient let's patient comes in and is seeking gender affirming hormone care. Usually that patient kind of knows exactly what they want. They this is not just some whim, right, that yeah. they've thought about to come in. It can sometimes take a person years to actually get to the point where they will make the appointment to get started on the medication. So I usually ask patients kind of about their history. When is the first time you started feeling dysphoria? Were you a child? Were you a teenager? What does that manifest like for you? Is it so profound that you are depressed? Kind of like, what is your relationship to that? What experience do you have with transitioning? Have you had undergone any surgeries? Are you using a different name? Kind of just want the patient to catch me up. A lot of patients I kind of already know well before they decide to transition, but let's say I'm meeting a patient for the first time and that's what they're there for. I like to get a background on them as much as they want to share with me. And then we talk about, just like with any medication, the risks, benefits, side effects, and alternatives of the medication that they're seeking. It's actually not recommended by the, it's like World Transgender Health, WPATH. I'd have to look up exactly what that stands for. But basically, there's an organization and the, that makes guidelines. And it used to be that 
you before a patient could seek surgery or get on hormone therapy that they needed all these letters from like a psychiatrist and a psychologist and a primary care. But now that's actually fallen out of fashion. The more barriers to care, the worse your eventual outcome is and the worse the patient has to feel while they jump through these hoops Mm -hmm. to get what they need. And so now, really, if you as a provider deny a patient hormone therapy, there's a hundred telehealth clinics out there that are going to do it the same day. So that's something to think about. This is really, I love this conversation because I think this goes along the lines of everything that we're seeing in the media and all this misinformation about it. And, but what's interesting is I, for me, I feel like I'm so glad that we have providers like you who are specializing. Cause I do think, I do think there's an element of like provide getting care from someone who genuinely one cares and also is sort of specialized in that area and hormone therapy it's a big it's a big talk right now mm-hmm. right it's like very something that we're controversial talk, controversial but yeah i mean it's it's interesting and i love that it's sort of forefront something that you're doing on the daily yes even you would think even like here in los angeles every single day we hear from patients whose providers either just flat out refuse to prescribe them hormones or maybe they wanted to but they didn't feel comfortable with it same for prep and hiv care like some patients that will see it they have a primary care doctor that they've been seeing for 30 years Mm -hmm. but they still come see us for hiv care and for what like we literally check one lab and we refill their medicine and then that's it so yeah there's a lot of misconceptions even not even amongst patients one of the biggest barriers to patients accessing care is providers not having not feeling equipped to so in some circumstances the provider just either morally objects to this they say no i don't do that i'm not gonna but in a lot of cases, there are providers who would if they felt more knowledgeable about the topic. It probably wasn't something even when they were going through med school or training right. that was even part of the curriculum. That's right. Assume, right. That's right. And it's still really not so much. I mean, I'm not too far out of PA school yeah. and I don't think we had any sort of like, I know for a fact we didn't learn about PrEP or PEP or gender affirming care for mm-hmm. sure. And then the when we talked about HIV pharmacology, it was kind of hammered home that an HIV regimen consists of two backbone drugs plus another, like a three-drug regimen. But nowadays, we're using two drug regimens. So the the information is changing extremely fast. And even people who are just now being enrolled into medical programs, they aren't a lot of times adequately being trained. Yeah, I was actually just going to ask you that because I do feel like it's interesting because I do feel like it's cutting edge, but it's also very, it seems like there's there should be straightforward protocol. How do you stay up on all of the the latest? And like maybe for future providers out there, like if they wanted to start focusing on this kind of care, how would they go about learning and staying up with everything? Like, yeah. So interestingly, a lot of times we will find that things that you learn that are cutting edge, actually the patient is bringing to you. Like I can't tell you how many times a patient has like taught me something that I didn't know because they are they are, they are the most informed population sometimes. And so that's one thing is being willing to learn from the patients. And if they ask you about a particular treatment or medication, they taking the time to look into it and see what it's about. So that I always learn a lot from patients. And then in terms of more like formal training, the Gay and Lesbian Medical Association is really good. There is an LGBTPA caucus that's really good. And pretty much every field, nursing, whatever, has some organization within them that are dedicated to training other providers or like giving you resources. So 
I have a lot. This is a question that I get a lot and I will share with y'all my link tree basically to how to stay up to date on these things. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. That's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like to your point, any primary provider should be able to counsel people on STI and HIV testing and educating them on maybe you're a candidate for PrEP, but that yes. doesn't like come up at all. I just switched primary care providers from age 18 and I'm 37 to my friend who's an NP yeah. because every time, and I've told this story on this podcast before, but every time I would, because you can just kind of text through the portal and I'd ask for like STI HIV testing, I would get pushback. Like, well, you just had this a few months ago. Is there I a know. reason why I'm like, like, first of all, why do you need to know if there's a reason why? They, and then you. obviously there fucking is, or I wouldn't be asking. <laughs> They're like, do you have any new partners? And I'm like, yes. And I'm going to next month also. So when I text you again, just write yes, the orders exactly. so, for the yes. testing. But then never once has she even counseled of like, hey, have you ever thought about PrEP because you asked for STI <laughs> testing this many every times week. a year? Yeah. yeah. But I'm like, it's that I don't think that should be something that is considered out of the specialty of, yeah that's it's not a specialty crazy. that's just Our, general health on that note i can't tell like another thing that really just gets to me is when patients say oh yeah i had an sti test they drew my blood at the hospital and i'm like mm, okay did you leave a urine sample did they swab your butthole did they swab your throat yeah. did they like do anything they're like no or the oh here's the misconception for listeners so don't assume that you're being tested for anything like if you pee in a cup at a medical provider's office or if you give some blood do not assume that oh well if i had hiv or chlamydia they would have told me because we know that you have to order that test in specific mm -hmm. but i think a lot of people think that just because they've had blood work done at the er in the past year that they don't have hiv or mm -hmm. something like that i think also your point about swabbing because my friend has had like some recurrent like chlamydia or gonorrhea oh, okay yeah but yeah i think because at first they weren't like testing or swabbing yes people those, are shocked those areas and i actually didn't know that and that person's a nurse i'm a nurse we're all yeah. in healthcare, and i'm like oh i thought pee and blood you're good i'm like i didn't realize you could be swabbing didn't know that that's either. right a lot of people don't like people will come in for an STI test and I'll say, OK, we're going to do the throat swab. And they're like, why? So if you're listening, if you yeah. are having oral sex, you should have a throat swab. If you're having anal sex, you should have a rectal swab. If you're having vaginal sex or penis and vagina sex, pee in a cup. OK, oh. here, this is what we're doing at the Selfie Show. We are giving lots of PSAs. Like, I love this conversation because I think it's interesting. Sam and I say this all the time. We're nurses, but there is such a gap in terms of knowledge and education and education getting out there and like even in the providers like I it's interesting as as someone in healthcare it's hard enough to navigate the system so that's why on the show specifically we're so glad to find providers like you and to talk about these things because so many people don't know these things yeah. right and in terms and of, don't want to talk about it and don't want and don't want to ask the hard questions right yes. so in terms of stis let's go there what what's the most common thing what are you seeing right now in terms of stis and okay. yeah so the most common sti in the entire world that we don't really think about when we think of stis is hpv human papillomavirus right that is a ubiquitous sti and i think it was Ali Wong, who said, like, if you don't have HPV right now, you are a loser. <laughs> I'm actually shocked I don't, to be quite honest. So Every I time I get a pap and I'm like, wow. Uh, well, I mean, I've had possible. one abnormal, but I was good after that. So. Yes. So everyone, if you're having sex, you're going to have HPV at right. some point in your life, right? Your body can clear HPV on its own, but sometimes not. So that's the one we think about. So HPV is going to be the most common. 
what is it called? Okay, so let's say you don't treat it. Mm-hmm. What ha- What's the trickle-down effect of that? Yeah, so HPV is related to cervical cancers, anal cancers, and a lot of people are shocked, but also throat, head and neck cancers. So I think there, there's like a shocking statistic that like, this isn't perfect, I know, but like 70 or something percent of all esophageal cancers and head and neck cancers these days are Whoa. HPV related. Oh. And why is that? Because people are having oral sex. Yeah. So HPV can cause several different cancers, even in places you may not think. One time I even saw a sinus cancer mm. that was HPV related. So on that note, HPV vaccine, I recommend it to everyone, every, every, every person, even if you're monogamous with your partner and have been for a long time. That's another soapbox. So HPV we see. Gonorrhea and chlamydia is bread and butter, right? Like, <laughs> that's our um, peanut butter and, be- and jelly. That's and right. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. So, gonorrhea and chlamydia are always going to be around. They're mm-hmm. common. Thankfully, they're easy to treat with either a shot of rocephin or a round of doxycycline. But what is super interesting, especially about gonorrhea and, and really chlamydia too, is that even in the past five years, we've had to change treatment guidelines for resistance. So it used to be for chlamydia, you could give them a gram of azithromycin and call it a day. But even in in the last three years, that recommendation was actually changed to a week of doxycycline Mm. because we would see that those infections just wouldn't clear up. So super chlamydia now. Yeah, I did a TikTok on super gonorrhea. It was like one of my most viewed videos. (laughs) So go check that out. And then another one that people just don't think about is syphilis. And when I tell you syphilis is on the rise, you can look at any state in the U.S. and syphilis cases are exploding, especially like congenital syphilis cases. So babies being born with syphilis, there's kind of a big outcry right now about a Mississippi. They're having a huge spike in congenital syphilis. So I remember literally being in school and a professor or someone saying like, oh, syphilis, don't worry, you, you'll never see that. Mm. We see it all the time. And I'm sure you have, too, in your uh, work with the littles. I'm curious, what what do you think the reason behind that is? Is it just like lack of education? Is it lack of testing? Like, where are we missing the gap there? Yeah, I think a lot of both, a lot of a lack of testing for sure. And then syphilis, they called the great pretender because it's can be very hard to catch. So one thing to know about syphilis is that it can take in some cases up to 90 days for a test to turn positive after you've been exposed. So most syphilis tests will turn positive anywhere between 30 to 60 days. But that's still a pretty long window when you compare it to like gonorrhea. So you know, you'll have a new partner. Two weeks later, you get tested. It's all negative, but you miss syphilis because it just wasn't there mm-hmm. or the provider didn't screen you for it. And then, yeah, the the symptoms of syphilis, they go away if you even have any. So we always think of the syphilitic ulcer. It's painless. It goes away on its own. The rash also goes away on its own. Just this past week, we saw three cases of tertiary syphilis in people with PPO insurances. People They go to the doctor all the time. They're super healthy. And uh, and straight up had tertiary syphilis. Wow. Is and okay, maybe in these cases, is this couples with someone going out in the relationship? Is this someone who like do you know where I'm going with that mm-hmm. question? Is this maybe I don't know, heterosexual met is is there a statistic going yeah. on here? So definitely rates of syphilis are higher in the gay male community. Rates of all STIs are higher in the gay gay male community, and that's just a fact. But also because of that, they tend to be pretty good about treating it and testing it regularly. So I will say all the cases, except for I've seen two hetero women with syphilis. It also went under the radar for a long time. Dermatologists thought it was like pityriasis maybe, and then it went away. But I will say the vast majority of cases are in gay men on PrEP, right? So they're on PrEP. They're 
not using condoms. That is a major consideration that we call it kind of like the PrEP revolution. So when PrEP came to be and people were no longer afraid of contracting HIV, condom use went way, 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 way down. And STIs went way, 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 way up. And so we are still kind of seeing that. But yeah, kind of similarly to PrEP, especially because it goes under the radar and people don't think about it. I think most people are at risk for syphilis and, mm-hmm. and just don't know it. Yeah, yeah. Can you touch on HSV or herpes? I think one thing people Mm. don't know is that's usually not included in your standard STI HIV lab workup, right? I think people kind of think like, oh yeah, my doctor sent off my STI and HIV labs and everything came back negative, but they don't actually look at what everything is. And so they don't know that they weren't even tested for that. Yeah. So this, this is actually, especially on TikTok, super controversial. So you're right. It is not recommended actually to screen people for HSV one or two. And the reason why is because so, 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 so many people have it. It's just extremely prevalent. I tell patients, like even toddlers, a lot of times, if you check their blood, they're going to have HSV one or two because their mom had a cold sore and gave them a kiss, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so just because you have the HSV one or HSV two antibodies in your blood, one, that makes you part of the majority. The majority of us have one, two, or both. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you will ever experience an outbreak yourself. And so a lot of people, because of the stigma related to herpes, a lot of people, if they found out they had HSV 1 and 2 in the blood, that would just cause them so much mental distress that it's honestly not even worth it. Now, if anyone ever experiences symptoms, so if you're having tingling, burning, blistering, at that point, definitely the recommendation is to swab it and run a PCR test. Some people still want to know, like they'll, I'll explain all this, and they still want to know whether or not they have those antibodies, in which, which case we'll run the test. But in general... If you're not having any symptoms and you've never had any symptoms, I don't really recommend screening for HSV. Mm -hmm. So if you have the antibodies and your blood is positive, but you're asymptomatic and haven't had symptoms, what is the transmission risk? Pretty much none. I mean, you could never say 100% for sure that you are not shedding that virus from somewhere. But the chances of someone who have never had an outbreak is not having any current symptom, having an outbreak or being contagious is pretty low. And patients who have outbreaks, you know, once they pay, they know very well how to treat it, how to feel it coming on. And so a lot of times they are very good at not transmitting it and knowing their body and knowing the symptoms. We have a lot of, I would say, upcoming pro- providers, young providers, and everyone here. I think we're all striving to do better, better, better. Like, pushing the needle forward. What are some things that we can do in the healthcare community to really support our patients, specifically LBG? So, I mean, more recently, I will say we've had quite a bit more surrogate situations with our gay couples and lesbians. It's really exciting and I love it. But I want to be mindful. Like, okay, I want to know appropriate like questions Mm -hmm. or things to consider or off the top of your head or the things that we can incorporate in our care or be sensitive to. Yeah. That's a good question. And two, like not everybody needs to be a specialist in PrEP and HIV and this and that to provide a good experience to the LGBTQ plus community. Anybody can can be welcoming and be gender affirming and be inclusive. So just like easy gimme things right off the bat would be inclusive intake form. For example, if you're dealing with a baby and the form says mother blank, father mm-hmm. blank, or even for yourself, like a male or female boxes, some people identify outside of that. 
What we do for our clinic is we actually just leave it blank. So gender is blank. You can put what you want. Pronouns are blank. You can put what you want. So just kind of those forward facing things that patients come across before they ever see you. Sometimes that's as easy as putting like one of the little like safe zone stickers in your reception and somewhere visible, like even the tiniest token of like, oh, hey, this person, maybe they're not an expert on gay health, but they at least are not going to discriminate against me. So like outward displays of allyship, inclusive intake forms go a, lot, a long way. You Using people's preferred name and making sure that you you know what it is as opposed to just what's on their license. Mm-hmm. Yeah, avoiding like gendered language type of thing. I see, I experience a lot from even my own patients. They'll see like my wedding ring and they'll ask me about my husband. So things like that, which most people you would think aren't going to do that, but it's hard. I mean, I even do it sometimes, right? I'll see someone and, and make yeah. my own assumptions about the way they identify. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So those are just some easy things that just truly anyone in any specialty in any setting can do and also to be receptive to the patient. So if a patient corrects you about whatever it may be, just take it and move on with it. Yeah, it's that easy. Literally, that's yeah. that easy. Yeah. And I love that. I I particularly really love the the new movement and, and a lot of the providers are really, really embracing this. And I it's just, I don't know, I, I'm really excited for, I hope, where we are going in many ways. Mm-hmm. And I know we have a long way to go, but that's why we're having these kinds of conversations. I think the NICU world is still pretty terrible about assuming everyone yes. is like mom and dad. Yeah. yeah. Or like, okay, absolutely worrying about like even coming or L and D, okay, well, where's dad or what's dad it's always dad, dad, dad. Even when I teach the NICU classes for my job that I do now, I always say like parent, parent or, mm-hmm. or parent. I say like, okay, partner yeah, so that their partner, because I don't know if their partner is yep. their husband. Like, yeah, their, yeah. Even if they're, I'm not going to assume it's their husband, Yeah, let alone that it's a male, let alone any of that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That can be hard to do. Um, I think in any of the maternal places, mm-hmm. it is very it's much so ingrained, ingrained mom, in, dad. Yes. But, you know, what I, I this is the why I love TikTok, because there's a lot of us out there who are starting to talk about these mm-hmm. things in social media, because I mean, I you know, growing up 10 years ago when we started in healthcare, like it wasn't a thing, really. I mean, it really wasn't. And I'm glad for where we are, because I do. We all should be striving to be better for everyone, every patient, meet them where they're at. Well, be so, open to learning. Absolutely. I think that's the be open. thing. Is, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's evolved, but you have to be open Absolutely. to that evolvement. And to learning from the patient yeah. themselves and not feeling that you are more knowledgeable than them because you have a degree. Yeah. Like I, they are they are the experts in their own health and they're Yes. Especially this particular community, I'm telling you, they're so knowledgeable. Oh yeah. Because they have to be, because there isn't somebody to mm-hmm. teach them. You have to learn it for yourself and from your peers and then hope that when you bring that information to your provider that they're receptive to it. And don't dismiss you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I would agree with you. It's funny because that's actually one of the tips that I give a lot of the people that I mentor is listen to your patients because you will learn something mm-hmm. from them too. And sometimes we write them off in the medical field. We have had a history of sitting on a high horse and assuming that we know everything Mm -hmm. and gatekeeping all of our evidence-based practice behind all these paid walls and everything. And it's funny because I have had moments where I've learned more from a bedside with a mom at 3 a.m. in the morning where she was asking me a question or telling me about this new thing or a product or something. And I'm like, oh my God. And then sure enough, here we are 10 years later and we're using, it's just, it's funny because I'm like, be open-minded because you never know some things, yes. It, is there misinformation out there? Absolutely. But you, a lot of our patients are 
much smarter than than we think they are. That's right. They well, really are. A lot of times I feel like we get this question the most about working in pediatrics is I can never work in pediatrics because of the parents. I don't want to deal with the parents. I'm like, I those love- parents are literally the best asset you have yep. into understanding um, their child. They know their child better than you ever could. You with all your degrees, all your experience, you still have met that child five minutes ago. Yeah, you don't, you don't know, know what their, their baseline normal, is. Their yeah. baseline, anything like that. And I'm like, to sit there and dismiss those parents because they don't have a degree, mm-hmm. You, they know their child. They know what's normal. They know what's wrong. And trust me, any parent that has a child that's been having symptoms or sick, they've done their research. Yes, they know their stuff. Absolutely. Yes. And yes. I'm like, don't, the worst thing you could ever do is just discount, dis- or, discount or tell off. them. And usually yeah. all the worst outcomes are things where parents keep voicing concerns, voicing concerns, and everyone keeps telling them, no, that's normal. No, Our that's patients, normal. Yeah. That's normal. And it's like, yeah. they know their child. If their child's saying it's not normal, you should pay attention to that Absolutely. because that's how they usually end up really sick or dead because they were dismissed over and over again. And we've all heard those stories of people, even, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's parents and being dismissed regarding their children or women being dismissed about their pain or overweight people being dismissed about what they're experiencing and then going home later to find that it was actually a major problem. So yeah, that is across all specialties. I think we could all probably do a better job of actually listening to the patient, not jumping to conclusions. They tell you, I'm sure, in any program, like, oh, you can get the diagnosis from the history. The history is so much more important than anything else. And it's so like, well, like you don't want to hear it, but God, the amount of times that I've had something in the history that was either incorrect or just flat out not in there. I'm like, and then you're at the bedside at 3 a.m. talking to a mom and you're like, oh, wow, I probably should have known that. That That's something we should know. You're 100% right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, if someone is trying to be a responsible patient Mm -hmm. and we are going to our primary care provider, what are some things that we need to be thinking about or maybe like a list of things that we should be asking our provider about? Yeah, so just sort of generic, like right off the bat, I would, when you're seeing a PCP, make sure that you're up to date with all age and gender related cancer screenings. So that would be my first question. I would ask, am I up to date with all vaccines for my age and my risk factors? So those are just two easy ones. And then I usually recommend to patients, if you're coming in for the first time, especially if you may be nervous, what are your expectations for the visit? Are you just looking for reassurance that what you're experiencing is normal? Do you, at the end of this, hope that you're going to be referred to a specialist? Do you want some sort of diagnostic tests run? And a lot of people don't like for the patient to kind of like tell them what they want. But I do. I find that it's a lot more like it's better for me and better for the patient because a lot of times they are just they just want to know that something's normal. Yeah. So tell that provider, what is your expectation here? What are you hoping to is going to come out of this? And two, ask the, per, ask the provider, how much time do you have? Because if you have a list, 10, 10 problems, and the provider has 20 minutes, you know, you're really going to want to That's a that. great tip, by mm-hmm. the way. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't even think to ask that, but that's a great, because we don't know. Mm-hmm. A lot of times patients don't know. And that's a, I think it's really good to, to, Yeah. Yeah. And to be aware that unfortunately in the world of medicine that we're in, not every visit is going to be an hour and a half. And Mm -hmm. so if you go into the visit knowing, okay, I do have all these problems, but my three most pressing concerns are dot, dot, dot. I usually ask that in like a multi-problem visit. I'm like, okay, if you could leave here with answers or working up three of the issues, what three are they going to be? And then everything else we're going to save for another time. Mm. 
That's right. I am really curious about this because obviously we've been I've been following you for years. Can we go into your social media a little bit? Couture. Where did this all come from? Yeah. So a tour in clinic was originally when I first made it, I had just turned down an offer to be on America's Next Top Model. And I wanted so I am yeah. so obsessed. And it was early on, right? This yeah. was like your season. Okay. Was it three? No, it was no. like season. Gosh, I don't even know. But it was it was earlier on and they were doing basically like college edition. And so I had been in that casting process and I they asked me to come out and and be on the show. And then I had also gotten accepted to PA school within the same week. So I ultimately ended up choosing to go to PA school and I have no regrets about that. I'm glad that I did. But I wanted to have an outlet for at the time what was more of like a fashion, like modeling and like beauty. So my idea was originally that it was going to be like couture in clinics. So it was going to be like a merge of the things that I liked, which was fashion and beauty and lifestyle, plus medical education. So how it's kind of been very heavily clinic for a long, long time. Occasionally, I'll try to like sprinkle in some outfit picks. And when I was a student, I was really good at it. Like I would have an outfit of the week every week. But that's where the name came from. But I'm just going to keep it because I still think that, like... No, it's iconic. It's, you, it's perfect. Yeah, it's a little, it's like... It's so cute. It describes me, I feel. It's very much you. And and I think I, what I love is... I think we're all growing and evolving, right? Like, we've talked about, like, brand and, and nurse Tori, how that's evolved. But I've loved watching you and TikTok. Your TikToks are so fun You're and very informative, which I think is really cool. You do it in such a... You're very, very approachable. And I think... What I like about you is like I feel like you're the fresh modern day what I what I want our primary care to be. Like I wish I want everyone who's going into primary care to like follow you and to learn from you because I think you are someone that is such a good you're an advocate. You are a really good role model. I think of where where we're going and I hope we have more providers like you. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. That's like, I mean, what better compliment could could someone receive? So I really appreciate you saying that. Well, I think it's a good model for people when they're looking for a primary. I had a friend that has been struggling to find one and he went to one and I'm like, find a different one. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm like, you got, you went and you asked for like his top three things were like needing PT rec for his shoulder or like some sort of imaging and then wanted like a prescription for some like acne stuff. And then wanted like some baseline labs and stuff and he like left with like just the lab like nothing and I'm like no like you asked for simple things like go and then he went to a different doctor that was a lot younger that was like hey call me Jeff Mm -hmm. and he's like oh Uh, and I was like that's already a good sign we love a Jeff walking in the door we love a Jeff and he was like oh my god I left with like all everything answered and I'm like don't just settle for the first one that you go to if you don't if you feel that you're being dismissed so I feel like you're a really good model for people to be like that's what primary care should look like and if you're not getting someone who even says like okay today we only have this much time but what are your top three actually address your concerns listen to you and don't dismiss you go look for someone else yes oh my gosh I can't believe it took me this long to say that but yeah that is something that I truly in my heart of heart strongly believe is like you are a lot of times paying a lot even if you have insurance you're still paying for this person's service and if it's not a good fit if you don't feel comfortable like the therapeutic relationship is gone you're not going to benefit from seeing that doctor if you're not comfortable Mm -hmm. and that is something i tell everyone whether you are queer or straight or anything like don't settle there is somebody out there who's going to take good care of you you don't have to accept subpar care so i'm so glad that you said that because it's so true like so many times people will just just settle because that's what it is or they'll get one opinion 
I always recommend that to people. Like, get another opinion. Get mm-hmm. another opinion about what I tell you. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Don't, don't listen to me. Like, go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Keep going. I love that. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm also a big fan of telling a patient to, like, just being honest with your boundaries and with your scope. Like, if you don't know, yeah. just freaking oh, say you don't thank know. You. I love that. Just say you don't know. Like, I will literally pull out up to date with a patient and we will look it up together. I'm like, don't judge me. This is my real medical Google. And I'm going to type this in. Totally. I I will do the same thing. If a mom asks me a question and I'm like, I don't know, I'll be very, very honest about this. Say, I don't know, but let's find out. Yeah. I'm you like, know? I hope you're not uncomfortable that I'm Googling this. But <laughs> here we and go. Then, but half the time they laugh. Yeah. And then you start, it just eases it up a little bit. And then it's like, oh, this is real. Yeah. It shows that someone cares and mm-hmm. wants to do, take that step and actually find the answer. And are humble enough to admit when you don't know. Because at the end of the day, if you don't admit when you don't know something yes. and you just press forward, mm-hmm. you're going to hurt somebody. Like, this is not a job in which you can just not know and it's going to mm-hmm. be okay. And then two, a big part of the job is not knowing everything, but knowing where to look. So that's another thing. Like, I don't think any patient, any preceptor, any colleague you'll ever have is going to expect you to know the entire breadth of your specialty. But if you know where to look to find the information, you're going to be fine. Perfect. What's been your most viral video? My most viral video, interestingly enough, was what really happens during a pap smear. Uh It... It skyrocketed my TikTok. It took me from like 10,000 followers to like 60,000 followers. Oh, hey, girl. Yeah. And this was several years ago, but I literally like walked people through the steps of a pap smear and like showed them the little like tools that you use. And yeah, to this day, it's still the most viral. The ones that are coming in anywhere close, which they're still not even touching that video, would be injectable HIV medicine videos because people are really interested in that. Oh, interesting. But yeah, it's the pap smears. (laughs) I feel like a lot of women have had pap smears but actually yeah. have no idea what's going on. Oh, the comments on that video. Yeah, the yeah. comments in that video are insane. Like people truly had absolutely no idea what actually was going was on. You know what's crazy is like to me that just says so much about our medical, like where we're at with medicine, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It does. Mm-hmm. It says a lot. Mm-hmm. Like because Sam and I, again, NICU nurses, we don't know any of this either. Like I, I probably will watch this video and be like, honestly, Asia, I did not know that. Well, I don't know what they're actually teaching in like school in terms of like sex ed and health because it's lacking. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. And oh, girl, I wish we had like five hours to yeah. sit here. Because well, we can do been another like, episode. Yes. I have a fully loaded, so many more questions for you. Yes. Like, let's get one. on the sex ed in schools because that one is, is, I love that topic. Ooh. We love, and how we love those so That's going to be one of those state. things that weren't on the top three list, but we're going to circle back. Next okay. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to add that to the list. Yeah, for this. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thanks, Thanks for having me. I'm not going to lie. I was very nervous. Oh, oh, I stopped you. sweating. We're like the most... <laughs> chill we love like, we're yeah. a hot mess so this no is one should be around yeah, us yeah this is so much funner the other like i've done like i said like maybe one or two other podcasts but it was from home and it was uh, it was not fun this yeah. was super fun no, this Thank is you. always the vibe okay where can everybody find you all the platforms all the things okay so follow me on all platforms at couture in clinic all one word so instagram tiktok youtube pinterest Weirdly, my Pinterest kind of goes up. It's I, pop, even, it's I have popping. no idea. I, I also have a blog, couturingclinic.com. So if you are a pre-medical student or current medical student, PA, nursing, anything, you'll probably find some good resources in there. And then I would also like to tell folks, too, that I take patients from all over the country. I actually oh. was going to ask that. Yes. Yeah, so you take? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. We do virtual visits and telehealth. And I actually have patients who I've never seen in person, but they know me on TikTok. And like <sighs> once every four months, maybe we'll hop on a virtual call and they'll like yeah. ask me questions. So 
If you don't live in the LA area, but you still want to see me, you can book. Our practice is drvmedical.com. Dr. V is my supervising physician and the private practice owner at drvmedical.com or also at my links okay. on my socials. Yeah. Wonderful. That's amazing. See, guys, you really don't yeah. have to settle for crappy nope. care. We're it's, getting good That's care. right. Yeah. Like, the advent of telehealth yeah. is really it's helping. Amazing. That's what I'm saying. Never settle. Yep. Yeah, oh, don't so settle. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank You're you. We're going to do parts here. We're going to do another one. Yes, I can't wait. Sure. Anytime. So I'm down anytime. On. All right. All right. All right. Thank you so much, Aisha. Okay, but is she not just like the Ugh. sweetest? I love I, her. Good vibes, good energy. She and, and her, her wife, wife are... you guys, were so sweet, so kind. It was so fun. We had a blast. I feel like I also, this is another one where I just felt like we had so many questions. I really want to, we're going to have her on again because there are a lot more questions in my head that I have that I feel like Time a lot of us could flew get. Totally. I went so fast. We're like, wait, we're not done with you yet. 100%. Yeah, this was a fabulous episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Make sure you're following her. If you got something out of today, send her a DM. Let her, let her know what you thought. Ask her a question. If you want to book with her, definitely do. That's on my to-do list as I'm have been looking for primary care. And it's funny because I'm like, wow, I didn't even think of, of doing something like this so i'm like hey let's get no, on this it is perfect yeah. and as always thank you so much for being here with us you guys you make sure you're following us on our insta that's at c-e-l-l-f-i-e underscore podcast you can find all the goodies and savings and our partners linked there in the bio and thank you so much for leaving reviews we love you if you leave a review on apple Podcasts, just drop your ig handle so we can send you all the free stuff stickers pins goodies love it and five stars on Spotify. Thank you much. Thank you. Love you. And yes. fun, fun bonuses fun. coming your way. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure you're following us on our Insta. That's at Nurse Tori. And at Hey Samantha with two A's. Mm -hmm. And we will see you Friday. All right. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.